0: All right, let's turn to our Bibles, Psalms chapter number 84 tonight, Psalms chapter 84, Psalms chapter number 84 tonight, and I'd like to be in reading in verse number one. If you've been here on the past two Sunday nights, then you know we have taken our text from this passage uh each Sunday night, and uh, tonight, if the Lord will allow us to preach this, this will be the last night that we'll take our text uh, from this place, and I want to give you one more thought in this series of thoughts out of the 84th Psalm, Psalms chapter 84, verse number one. The Bible says how amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield. And look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And all the greeters said, Amen. Amen. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. Let's pray together. Father, we love You tonight. Thank You for letting us be here in this place. Thank You for the testimonies. And and Lord, thank You for the poems and the songs that we've already heard. And Lord, we've already felt keenly and personally Your presence here in this place. But Lord, now as we draw our attention and our focus upon the Word of God and it is preached to us, May we get down to business with heaven. May we open our hearts. And, Lord, may you have liberty to work in us that which would bring you the most glory. I'm thankful, Lord, that you're still alive and that you're still risen. And I'm thankful, Lord, and I want to thank you personally that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we wait with, with expectant, anticipating hearts for you to do a work in us tonight. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Over the last three weeks, we've been preaching through this psalm, or over the last two weeks, this week being the third, and we have noticed a theme that is present within this psalm. You probably noticed it even as we read our text, even if you've heard none of the other messages. Verse number 4 says this, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. say Law. Verse number 5 says, Blessed... "...is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them." And verse 12 says, "...O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee." On three separate occasions in this psalm, the psalmist describes what it is that makes a man's life a blessed experience. I'll tell you, I'm a blessed man. My life is an embarrassment of the riches and blessings of God. And God's been so good to me. And I, I say it all the time. People probably think I'm just saying words to say words. But now people will ask me, preacher, you know, how's the church going? How things doing? I'll tell them. I'll say, it's going so well, we can't figure it out. I mean, we're just blessed so much, it don't even make sense to us anymore. And the truth is, God's been so good to me in my life and blessed me so richly that it is a humbling and bewildering thing to behold to examine the goodness of God in my life. And when we think about what it means to have a blessed life, or how a person has a blessed life, we find that there are sort of two erroneous perspectives, two perspectives that are completely wrong, out of hand, concerning the blessed life. We made note of these each sermon, and we'll do it once more tonight. A blessed life is not a matter of personal or preferential treatment. So say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, God ain't just better to some people because He loves them more. I'm glad the Bible has settled this. God so loved the world. Not a part of the world. Not some of the world. Not a few in the world. But God so loved the world. Hey, God commendeth His love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The, The commendation and expression of the love of God is the giving of Christ on the cross of Calvary. And who did He do that for? Well, as we preached this morning, the Hebrews writer says He tasted death for every man. There might be people in your life that love other folks more than they love you. You might love some people in your life more than you love others, but I'm thankful to rest my mind tonight in knowing that God loves each and every one of us eternally, exhaustively, and unimaginably. In other words, I never have to look at it and say, well, maybe God just loves them more than He loves me. That does leave us with sort of another uh, wrong perspective about it, Some people say, well, no, preacher, it's not that God loves some people more than others. It's just that some love Him more than others love Him. And while I would say that's certainly true, that some people love Him more than others, I'm glad to report to you tonight that His love of us is not predicated on how deeply we love Him. In fact, He loved us before we ever loved Him, and we love Him because He first loved us. But some people would say, well, preacher, living a blessed life is a matter of personal merit. If a person serves the Lord faithfully, if they work hard for God, if they tow a, a straight line, then God will bless their life. There's only a problem with that, and that's that many of the things that people want to associate with blessings are just as prevalent, sometimes more prevalent, in the lives of those that do not know God than they are in the lives of those that do know God. Listen, you can't tell me a learjet is a symbol of God's blessing. Uh because uh very few people have got a Learjet, amen? I mean, it's just like Michael Jordan, Oprah, and Jesse Duplantis, amen? Those are the only ones. And uh the fact is, you can't say, well, good health is a sign of the blessing of, of God, and then point to saints that are sick and, and, and ungodly people that are well, and say, well, it's a matter of personal merit. Now, I will tell you this, God can bless people in a financial way, God can bless people with good health, God can bless people with position in, in society, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're going to suggest that having a blessed life is a matter of personal merit, your whole worldview is going to fall apart, because some of the richest men walking this planet care nothing for the God of glory who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, some of the people who will live the longest in this world, uh, it's a good thing they live the longest, because they live without God, they need every every opportunity to turn to him that they can. Uh, Some of uh, the uh, most wicked and vile people are blessed with all of those things we would call a blessing. And so if you're going to say, well, preacher, it's a matter of personal merit. Some people are just working harder for God, so God's working harder for them. I'm glad to report to you, God ain't working hard for me based on me working hard for Him. He's as good to me every day whether I'm good to Him or not. And so then we ask ourselves this question, well, preacher, what is it about? And I think that our text tonight gives us a little bit of an idea. I would say it this way. For the life of the believer, having a blessed life, it is a matter of living a life of obedience to God's Word such that God can bless your life. And I'm just going to insert this in here and not have to apologize for it. And that you share in the blessing of living for Him. Now, let's say both of those things as simple as we know how. If you live a life in direct opposition of God, God cannot bless your life, because to do so would be an endorsement of a life being lived in direct opposition to God. Now you say, well, preacher, there is the devil's crowd, and often they have many of these things, and I am aware of that. But I'd remind you, they're not his kids. They're the devil's kids. But in dealing with his own children, and I've learned this in my own life, sometimes You don't just have to be discerning in when you discipline your children, you have to be discerning in when you bless your children, because if you bless them at the wrong times, you can enforce wrong behavior in their life. So I would say this, we, we must live in obedience to God's Word. It's not a perfect life, but we must seek to align ourselves With the truth of God's Word. But then here is a deeper truth regarding this. Often the blessing that we enjoy is not any of those extraneous and external matters that we so often associate with blessing, but in fact is the blessing of living for Him in the first place. One of the great portions of the Word of God is when the Lord, or when Abraham calls the Lord uh, his uh, exceeding great reward. His portion and His exceeding great reward. You know, Abraham, his uh, faith had transcended beyond uh, temporal matters because he had learned to love the giver more than the gift. And I'll tell you that if you'll live for God, that's the blessing. You may die penniless. You may die racked with disease. Uh, you may die with no one uh, even remembering your name. But if you've lived a life serving the Lord, you've lived a blessed life. For it's a blessing to serve the Lord. So when we read our text, we've made note over the past couple weeks of some of the things that create a blessed life or contribute to a blessed life. Verse 4 teaches us this, that the psalmist, he is blessed to dwell in God's sanctuary. That's what he says, blessed are they that dwell in my house. And I'd remind you tonight, hey listen, the greatest blessings of my life have come from being in church. Being around God's people. Having a church family. It's amazing to me that there's people in this life uh, that think that they have no need for a church family. Listen, I don't know what kind of supernatural, super spiritual strength you've tapped into that's made you immune uh, to the world and its assaults and afflictions, but I'll tell you, this poor preacher needs the house of God. I need the people of God. And so many of the greatest blessings in my life have come from being in church. Verse 5 says this, Blessed is the man whose strength is in me. He's blessed to draw from God's strength. He's learned the secret to supernatural strength. And that's that supernatural strength does not reside within a normal individual. It does not reside. Hey, listen, supernatural strength has to come from a supernatural God. And he's learned what it is when his strength is exhausted to partake in the strength of God. You know, one of the great... Truths that we miss, and I'm going to say this and move on because it ain't my message. Uh, But God's strength doesn't come through feeling, it comes through faith. Often the strength that God imparts to those trusting in Him, don't make them feel any stronger. They feel just as weak as they always felt, but by faith they keep marching on and serving Him nonetheless, and God gives them supernatural strength. Hey, listen, that barrel of meal and that cruise of oil, it never overflowed. But every time she reached in, there's always more. We often want God's supernatural strength. We want it to wash over us like a wave and make us feel like we could run a hundred miles and leap tall buildings in a single bound. But that's not how the strength of God comes. The Bible tells us in the book of Colossians that He gives us His strength that we might endure with all patience and joy and long-sufferingness. The fact is, the strength of God often don't make you feel better, but it does make you faithful even when you would have faltered in your own strength. So he's blessed to draw from God's strength. I want you to notice the final one tonight. And I'm going to say just a few words about it and then be done. Verse number 12. It closes out this psalm and it says this, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in Thee. We find when we study this psalm that it divides itself into three main portions. The first few verses, four verses, deal with dwelling in God's sanctuary. The next few verses deal with drawing from God's strength. But beginning down around verse 9, we find that a new theme begins in this psalm. And the psalmist begins to use language in describing the Lord that is very, very distinct. Notice with me verse number 9. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. He'll pick up this language again in verse 11. He says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And when we come to verse 12, we have sort of the synopsis of that truth when it says, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. I want to preach to you tonight on this thought. This psalmist, he's blessed to depend on God's shield. What do you mean, preacher? He's learned not to trust in himself, but to trust in the Lord. He's learned that no weapon formed against him can prevail against him if he's trusting in his God and depending upon him. Can I tell you, you have tapped into a source of peace that far extends beyond what financial stability, what physical health, uh, what political stability and societal stability can provide for you when you have learned that you as a born again child of God have the thrice holy omnipotent almighty God uh, that measured the universe uh, in His hand, in the span of His hand and meted out the oceans and the little lines that run across His hand. When you realize that you are inside that hand and that He is your Son and and shield, you have tapped into a source of peace that this world cannot touch. It's not rooted in your strength or your ability, but rather in the person and promises of God. And when we read this psalm, we learn that it's a blessed thing to simply trust in Him. Notice four thoughts tonight and then we'll be done. Look with me at verse number 9. The psalmist begins by talking about the guarantee of depending on God's shield. Verse 9, he says, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. Now, somebody would say, well, preacher, how do I know that God will be a shield to me? How do I know that God as a shield will not fail? Here in verse 9, we're given some guarantees about it. I like guarantees. Uh, When men give you a guarantee, it ain't worth nothing. You can go down, you can, and they'll, they try to everywhere they're trying to sell them to you nowadays. I mean, you go buy something on Amazon, you go, you buy a three dollar item, they want to sell you a, a six ninety five warranty plan. We wonder why we're just tanking as a country, you know? And you'll go down at the Walmart, and you'll pick something up, you know, you'll pick up a, a pack of batteries. They want to know if you want the extended uh, service plan on those batteries. Amen. I want them to run until they run out, and then I'm going to throw them away. Amen. That's all I need out of them. And often when man gives a guarantee, it is really no guarantee at all. When men use truth in such cavalier and calloused ways. But I got news for you. When you're trusting in God, you're trusting in a God that never lies and that never fails. Let me give you a word of advice tonight. Quit trusting in the arm of the flesh. Quit trusting in politicians to fix things. Quit trusting in in bankers to fix things. Uh, Quit trusting in stockbrokers to fix things. Uh, Quit trusting in your own strength to fix things. Quit trusting in human ingenuity to fix things. Because all those things are going ultimately to fail. You say, well, preacher, they might do some good things uh, you know, every now and then. And that's true. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. But if you want a steady, unchangeable, immutable, and perfect shield, look to the God of glory. And I got good news. If you're born again, he's already your shield. You just have to trust in his guarantee. Now, You might say, well, preacher, I don't see a guarantee in verse number nine. Oh, but I do. I see that in this verse, we see that God's character is revealed. It doesn't say God has a shield. It says God is a shield. <laughs> I like that language. I say, preacher, why, why does that strike you? Why do you like that? Well, because a great big God could have a shield that fails. But when that great big God is the shield, then we know that it's never going to fail. Beyond that, we know and understand instinctively that what this is doing is teaching us something about the very character of God Himself. Part of the essence of God's being, part of the purpose of God's being is that He might protect and watch over those That trust in Him. It has always been in the nature of God to watch over His people. It has always been disconsonant with the idea of who God is to believe that He would fail or forsake His people. We often quote the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, let your conversation be without covetousness, for He hath hath spoken unto us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But the truth is, that was true about God in the Old Testament. Hey, let me go a step further. That was true about God before there was an Old Testament. That's always been true about God. He's never been the kind of God that flakes out on His people. He has always been a God that shields His people. God doesn't view this as a service that he offers. It views, he views this as the essence of who he is. He doesn't view it as something that is predicated on whether we have minded our our, our our work, whether we have crossed our T's and dotted our I's, whether we have minded our P's and our Q's. God views this as something that is native and nascent to His very character and His very personality. There's certain things you might look at in an individual and in their personality. And I, I don't know about you, I'm a weird person. And, and, and you ain't got to pay me to be weird, I'll just be weird automatically. It's in my nature to be that way, amen? I don't have to act weird. When I'm weird, I ain't acting. That's just who I am, amen? And let me say with God, when He protects His people, He's not doing something that is out of the ordinary or out of the pattern of His personality. He's doing that which is in perfect keeping with who He is. In it, we see God's character revealed. But then I like this next phrase. He says this, Look upon the face of thine anointed." Now, this is interesting language that's being used here uh, because the Bible declares to us boldly and explicitly who the anointed of God is. And the anointed of God was not David, even though David was anointed to be king. And in many ways, he prefigured and he was a type of Jesus Christ. But he wasn't the anointed. And you can go through the Old Testament. The Bible warns against laying your hand against God's anointed. And I understand the context of it in regarding the king of Israel Well, you know, the truth of the matter is there's only one that's God's anointed. There's only one that's God's anointed. Uh, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, prophesied that there'd be a day when he'd come and, and 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 would proclaim and declare that the Lord God hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And when we come to the book of Luke, we find that the Lord Jesus himself, he enters into the temple uh, into the or into the synagogue and, and he takes the book of the writing and reads in Isaiah that very passage uh, about how the Lord had anointed him to preach the gospel. And he says, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Amen. In other words, he's the anointed. And in fact, the very title Christ or Messiah, it means the anointed one. The psalmist, he doesn't say this, look upon my face, but he says, look upon the face of thine anointed. I don't know how much that the psalmist understood when he pinned this down, but what a deep truth this will hold for the New Testament saint who being justified freely by the grace of God, is now positionally and judicially put within the place of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. I'm not just by Christ, I'm not just on Christ, I'm in Christ. When I got born again, I got placed in him such that when God looks at me and when he looks at this face, he don't see the face of Toby. He sees the face of his anointed. And so when I think about God's protection in my life, I'm encouraged to realize, let's say it this way, in this we see God's covenant relationship. We see God's commitment revealed to his people in that it is not vested in their own actions or works or promises or integrity but rather in the perfect relationship he has with his perfect son. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I've been put into the family. I am a a, a joint heir and a fellow laborer. With Jesus Christ. And when God looks at me, He judicially chooses to treat me like Jesus Christ. Such that I can rest in the fact, even though I may not deserve God's attention, I may not deserve God's care, Jesus does. And Jesus always, He ever and always got all the things that He asked the Lord for. And the Bible, when it says, look upon the face of thine anointed, I can rest in this sense, whenever God's looking at Him, God's looking at me. It's not about me. It's about Him. So in this passage, I see the guarantee of depending on His shield. Look with me at verse number 10. The Bible says this, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Then it says, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Now, if you're not careful when you read that verse, it'll sound out of place. I mean, verse 9, the psalmist is talking about the Lord being our shield. Verse 11, he goes right back to talking about how the Lord God is a son and shield. And then verse 10 seems almost like this odd, out-of-place verse that's talking about being a doorkeeper in the house of God. And it'll seem strange and discontinent and broken concerning the stream of thought. But when we stop and consider the imagery that is being used in verse number 10, we immediately begin to understand what's being spoken of. The picture is of someone who is waiting and serving in the court of a king or someone that is laboring a Levite in the Old Testament and ministering in the house of God. Both of these individuals are not there for their own praise or for their own glory, but they also are there under the express Protection of a higher authority. The person serving in the court of the king is not there to defend themselves, but they are there to defend their king. And inasmuch as they're there in the service of the king, they're depending on the protection and authority of the king to watch over them. Likewise, the Levites were not commanded to take up arms and engage in military affairs, but rather to labor and work about the ministration of the temple. And as they're serving and laboring in the work and ministration of the tabernacle and the temple, they were wholly vulnerable and at the mercy of the God they were serving. In that situation, and I don't know about you, but the hardest thing about trusting God is trusting God the hardest thing about putting something in his hands is taking my hands off of it and for some reason when we do we think that we've done something lesser or insignificant we think that maybe we have put ourselves at a disadvantage but i want you to notice at verse number 10 and we could say it a couple different ways we could talk about the glory of depending on his shield but i think maybe we could also say it this way the gaining of depending on his shield can I tell you this? You won't ever lose by trusting in Him. We worry, well, preacher, you know, I might trust in Him and, and He might mess up or I might trust in Him and miss an opportunity or I might, I might be focused on serving Him and miss something in life that could be a better thing. But verse number 10 is trying to remind us that two things. Let me say it this way. One, there's no better use of our time than to trust the Lord. He says it this way, for a day in my courts is better than a thousand. I don't know about you. I, I like to, if I have something that I need to do, and I won't say I do this perfectly, but I have a tendency, if if there's something that needs to be done, until it's done, it bothers me that it's not done. Like if I'm doing something around the house, if I have some chore, if I have some task, if it doesn't get done, it just, it weighs on me and it bothers me that it's not done. And that being the case, sometimes you can get your priorities mixed up in your life and and sometimes you'll think to yourself, "Well, well, maybe in laboring in this or laboring in that, I'm wasting my time. I could be focusing on this or I could be focusing on that. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to view the laboring for the Lord as being counterproductive and counterintuitive to our life's goals. Can I tell you something? Hey, listen, there is no better way to get ahead than to bow the knee before Him if you'll put your life in His control, if you'll trust in Him, if you'll take your hands off the wheel and say, Lord, I'm trusting You to lead me, to guide me, to direct me. And if I spend the rest of my days just waiting on You and serving You, if I don't ever get my name in lights, if I don't ever get all the zeros at the end of my bank account, if I don't ever get the big house or the nice car, that's all right. I'm just going to serve You. And that's enough. You've not wasted your time. Focus on the Lord and you'll be amazed what will fall in line in your life. There's no better use of our time. But then I like this next phrase. He says, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. In other words, he says, I'd rather never be invited in so that I might feast and enjoy, but just simply stand and wait at the door of the house of my God and open it and close it and attend to that ministration. Let me say it this way. There's no better use of our talents than to trust in the Lord. Say, well, preacher, maybe I'm wasting my energies by trusting in the Lord. No, you're not wasting your energies. Trust Him. He'll work things out and He'll do things that you don't have the ability to do. I've never worked harder than when I'm working in my own strength. That's the truth of the matter. I've never been more disheartened and discouraged. I've never been more defeated and counterproductive than when I've tried to labor and work in my own strength. And listen, serving and laboring for the Lord, it's not laziness and it's not idleness. You want to get busy, serve the Lord. You'll get busy doing things in life. But if I'll invest my focus and attention on serving and laboring for the Lord, trusting in Him. You see, here's the thing. We think of trusting in God as being merely a matter of protection. But trusting in the Lord is also a matter of productivity. Prioritizing Him first in our life and making sure that we're tending to His work and to His calling first and leaving the other matters of life for God to sort out in their time, in His time and in His will and in His plan. And the psalmist is saying, I've learned, if I'll just focus on God, God will take care of everything else. The psalmist learns, I'd rather just be doing something small and simple but serving the Lord than using all of my faculties and all of my talents to labor and work in wickedness. You say, preacher, I'll waste my life away if all I ever do is just serve the Lord and labor for Him. No, you won't. There's no greater investment and in use of your time than to serve the Lord. I see the glory or gain of depending on his shield. Somebody say, well, preacher, that sounds like a dismal life. Well, you've not lived it yet. Because if you lived it, you'd learn that's not the case. I like verse 11. It says this, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I want you to think with me for a moment about the grace of depending on his shield. And I like the way he says it in verse number 11. The Lord God is a sun and shield. You might say, well, preacher, why would he say a sun and shield? Those two objects and ideals don't seem to be all that deeply connected. Oh, but you're wrong. You see, where you've got a shield, you need a little sunlight. And where you're in the sun and exposed to the elements, it never hurts to have a shield. But he goes on to really describe what he means in the next phrase. The Lord will give grace and glory. Let me say it this way. If you'll trust in the Lord, you'll find two things about Him. One, He brightens the way. He brightens the way. You say, preacher, things haven't been going well in my life. You know what I found? I found when the sun of circumstances... When the sun of, of, of prosperity, when the sun of ease and pleasure, i found that when the sunlight and the sunshine of this world's conditions falters and clouds over through trouble and trials, I found this: God's sunshine, it don't never get cloud. I' found this that even in the midst of trouble, affliction and trial, God giveth songs in the night, and He can be a sun to his people in the darkest of nights. I can't explain it. All I can do is just exhort and, and testify of it. That I found that in some of the darkest times of my life, when I should have been weeping, I was worshiping. Uh, when I when I should have been quitting, I, I, I was going on. When I when I should have been pouting, I was praising. I, I found that through some of the times in my life, when if I had depended in my own strength, man, I would have cracked up. I mean, I would have lost my mind. I would have, I, I would have just gone nuts. But instead, God give me peace of mind and strength of heart What happened in those moments? Well, He was a sun and shield to me. He protected me. He also, He didn't just give me protection. He gave me praise. He gave me joy. He gave me excitement. He brightens the way. If you'll trust in Him, if you'll just yield your heart to Him, if you'll let His Word fill up the void that cynicism would create, if you'll just take Him at His Word, Rejoice in who He is and what He's done. You'll be amazed. You'll find He is your sunshine. When the sun's not shining in your life, He'll still be good. He not only brightens the way I like this, He blesses the way. The Lord will give grace and glory. Those are two things I need. I need grace in my life. When things are going bad, I need grace. I need, when things are difficult, grace. But not only does He give grace, and I'm glad we have a God that's built. He ain't just for the mountaintops. He's for the valleys too. But I'm glad, praise the Lord, it ain't all valleys. There's some mountaintops too. And I, go, I listen, I like it. I like that he's, it says He gives glory. Now that word glory is interesting. It can be used in a number of different ways. But here in this context, you know what He's talking about? He's talking about rejoicing. Rejoicing. I like how Paul uses it in the New Testament. He talks about. He says. He says, if we be beside ourselves, if we glorying be beside ourselves, it is it is unto the Lord. He says uh, that if, if we restrain ourselves, and I'm, I guess I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure I'm not quoting it perfectly, uh, but he says, which for your sakes. But if we be beside ourselves, it is unto the Lord. What's he talking about? He's talking about getting in the glory. He's talking about rejoicing. He's talking about enjoying his salvation. Let me say, listen, we don't have to endure. We can enjoy. I'm gonna be honest with you. The Lord's been dealing with my heart about this. I'm gonna enjoy the life God's given me. I am, man. I'm gonna. I, I. I mean, I'm just telling you. I ain't gonna walk around all just upset, tore up all the time. God's been too good to me in my life. Uh, listen, I, I'm going to enjoy my family. I, I'm going to enjoy my, my, my church. I, I'm going to enjoy going to church. I, I'm going to enjoy the ministries of God. I'm going to enjoy my friends and my hobbies and and the goodness of God in my life. And I just I ain't going to walk around upset and angry all the time. I ain't going to give the devil that kind of glory and that kind of authority in my life. God's been too good. He's given me glory. I ain't going to throw it back at him. I'm going to enjoy it. And I'll tell you this, if you'll live a life trusting the Lord, you'll find when, when things are difficult and you need grace, He'll give you grace. And you'll find that on there, some days He won't just give grace, He'll give glory too. He blesses our life. I see the grace of depending on His shield. And finally, I'll be done tonight. Look at the end of verse 11. He says this, No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. Let me put it this way. I see the guardrails of depending on his shield. Now, the prosperity preacher would take the end of verse 11, and he would change a little bit. He would say, no desired thing will he withhold from them. But that's not what your Bible says. He would say, no good thing will he withhold from them that claim it and name it and declare it and speak it into existence. But that's not what your Bible says. There are two limiting factors on what the psalmist speaks of here. The first is summarized in that word good. No good thing will he withhold from them. Can I tell you one of the great things about trusting the Lord? I'll tell you one of the great things about depending on His shield. It guards our ambitions. You know why? Because I don't get to define good. He defines good. You see, there might be things that I'd want in my life but they're not good for me. There might be things that you might be able to handle that I can't handle. Amen? I see some of these people with these big old fancy sports cars. You ever see these things? V12 engines and all kinds of different electronics. God's got to bless them with them because God couldn't bless me with it. I'd wreck the thing. Amen? I mean, I, I can't be trusted. I'll just be frank with you. I can't be trusted with, with that much horsepower. Amen? I know my limitations. And, and there might be things that i desire And it looks like a good thing. It looks like a great thing. It looks like a godly thing. But you know, God knows what the things are that we need in our life. i tell you one of the great things about trusting in Him is when you're like me and you're too dumb to run your own life, He'll do it for you. When you don't know what you need, He knows what you need. And it tells me if I'll trust in Him, it doesn't say He won't withhold things from me. He will withhold things from me but there won't be good things. There'll be things that I don't need in my life. And it tells me that I can trust Him with my desires. When I want something, I can pray and say, now, Lord, this is my desire. This is what I want. God, give this thing to me. I'm I'm trusting You for it. And often He won't give me that thing. And I can just mark that right off the list and say, well, that's one more thing I've learned I don't need. I love it, man. He guards our ambitions. But let me say this too. Not only does He guard our ambitions, but He guards, or if you prefer, guides our actions. No good thing will He withhold from them. God will give me everything I want. No, He won't. He won't give you everything. There are some things you don't need that He won't give you. Okay, preacher, God will give me every good thing that I want in my life. No, not unless you walk uprightly. Why does God do that? Some would say, well, preacher, he's a petty tyrant. He's coercing and manipulating people. You know who we're talking about, right? I mean, you understand if he wanted a world filled with mindless lemmings, he could just destroy all of us and recreate it. Or just destroy everybody but the... Mm, Never mind. You understand he can do anything he wants. There's nothing if he wanted to make you do it that you wouldn't do. He can make you walk straight off a cliff if he wanted to. He could make the world spin backwards if he wanted to. He could make the the ground up and, and he could make the sky down. In fact, if I had one of them sports cars, I'd probably do it too, amen. He could do anything that he wants to do. But instead, you know what I find? In loving kindness... He guides our lives to get us, not begrudgingly, not out of spite, not against our will, but out of love and obedience to walk uprightly. Sometimes God might look at us and say, I'll not give this thing to you because it's not good. Sometimes he might look at us and say, I want you to have this thing. But if I gave it to you now, oh my, how much you'd lose out on. If I gave it to you in this moment, you'd quit seeking me. If I gave it to you in this moment, you'd quit pursuing me. If I gave it to you in this moment, you'd quit walking with me. And what a tragedy that would be. If I gave you this thing, it'd ruin your life. Even though, once we get a little further down the road, I might be able to bless you with it and it not do that. And I'm just glad I can trust Him in my life. I can look at every unanswered prayer and ask myself, is God trying to get my attention? If he's not, I can rest in knowing it was something I did not need. But I can rest in this as well, knowing that if he's done it to get my attention, it's because having my attention was more important than me having that thing. I can always rest in knowing that as he's guiding my life, if I'll just depend on him, he'll give me everything that I need, nothing that I don't, and he'll grow me and develop me through it all. Hey, listen, it's a blessed thing. You'd be amazed how much peace of mind you'll get if you'll learn just to trust in Him. Just to trust in Him. There's a thousand things you think you have to figure out. Trust in Him. There's a thousand things you think you've got to fix. Trust in Him. I'm not saying He won't uh, prompt you to do things and take action and try to, to be proactive and fix things in life. I'm just telling you this. God ain't sitting around in heaven waiting to hear from you to figure out what needs to be done. He's already got a plan. And if we'll just trust in Him, we'll find a blessed life. In fact, there's no greater blessing that we could have in our life than to dwell in His sanctuary, to draw from His strength, and to depend on Him as our shield. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. The altar's open. Listen, I don't know on this resurrection Sunday night what God may have done in your heart, but I know it'll be right, it'll be perfect, and He wouldn't have done it for no reason. So if God's moved on your heart tonight, Would you move for him? Would you slip out of your seat and find a place at this altar and do business with heaven? Talk to the Lord about that matter. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus, we ask it in his name.